Good afternoon and welcome to the Jason Ranch Show on AM 770 KTTH, streaming live on the KTTH smartphone app. Local media and national media, they seem intent on contriving a new hate crime with cops as their targets. That is what's trending. What's trending? Back the blue. It's the story that keeps gaining momentum because the media wants it to gain momentum. Seems very little doubt that there is intention behind the kinds of coverage that we've seen as relates to the Seattle police officer's body cam, where he was recorded accidentally mocking city lawyers that would try to come up with an excuse to get out of paying the family of John V. Candula. John V. Candula, Indian graduate student at Northwestern University. She was just 23 years old. She was hit and killed by a police cruiser. It was a complete accident. According to the officer who was driving, he had his lights on. He was chirping the siren. Janavi Candula tried to go across the crosswalk, mistimed it, and there was the collision. That's what the officer says. Now, I'm guessing there is either a lot of uh, either just total truth to what he said, or there's a lot of questions as to whether or not he's guilty of any crime because the King County Prosecuting Attorney's Office had this case. They've had the case since June, and they have not made a charging decision yet. Now, yeah, sometimes it takes a while. Usually that means they don't have anything to charge. The fear, however, is they're going to now charge because of public pressure. Now, the officer who was mocking the city lawyers was not the driver of that car, even though some people seem to think that it is, because the local media and national media have done, I think, a horrible job in covering this story. They leave out the context of why the comment was made. And people are hearing about this second, third hand from people who heard about a report or someone who talked to someone who heard about a report. And it's just not being covered accurately or fairly. Then what happened over the weekend is just forwarding this story even more. You had local leaders who have been completely silent on crime. They have been completely silent on the Asian Americans who have been targeted by a group of young juveniles because the juvenile suspects happen to be black and they don't want to call that out. They think it's somehow racist. It's not. They've been silent on that. But all of a sudden they met with, quote, uh, this is according to, I believe it was Cairo 7 TV, representatives from the South Asian community. Excuse me, King 5 did that. Representatives from the South Asian community. What does that mean? They represent the South Asian community or they are just Asian Americans. What exactly does that mean? Who chose them? To be representatives of an entire community. Were they elected by the community? No. 
But they were called to discuss the death, get an apology from the mayor. See, the mayor wants to get ahead of a political issue. He doesn't view all the other crime that's been happening as political issues. This he wants to get ahead of. You had a rally that happened on Friday night. Only about 25 people showed up to that. It was a march to the West Precinct again, also screaming F the police, vandalizing property on the way over, tagging property. But the AP said that tensions have boiled over thanks to that march. Really? There were only about 25 people there. Where's the tension? Now, there are two groups of folks who are reacting here. They both seem to be politically motivated, but they are two distinct groups. On the one hand, you have the folks, the ones who are chanting F the police and talking about how capitalism is somehow to blame for any of this. That's the Antifa folks, the BLM folks, the militant activists, the radicals, the Shama Sawant supporters. Those are the crazy people, the hyperpartisan, who do not care at all about Janavi Kandula. So much so that as we played audio on Friday, some of them were just calling her the victim because they didn't bother to learn her name or learn how to pronounce it. That's why. They don't really care about her. They care about exploiting this issue the same way they did George Floyd. They exploited George Floyd, an incident that happened in Minneapolis for political gain here in Seattle. The only difference between that and this is that in this case, it was very clearly an accident by any standard. And she's local, but they also don't care about her. Then you have the other group of folks. The ones who supposedly represent the Asian American community. Community members like Depali Jamal, who helped organize one of the other rallies over the weekend. It wasn't a march, it was just a rally to the best of my knowledge, at least based on the reporting. And she told King Five that the community has to stand up against this evil cop who mocked a lawyer. You know, that laughter is evil, it is haunting, and it is, um, yeah, we, need, we just need uh, to take an action against this. We need to take action against this. Now, what's that action? It appears that they want the cop fired. As it relates to the driver of the vehicle, they want him charged. So they want to fire someone for engaging in protected speech speech that was supposed to be private was definitely not intended to be public mocking a lawyer who's going to dismiss the value of the victim got it but we're also being told now that there's a racial or or ethnic component don't try rough any feathers we try to keep it out to ourselves we don't we don't fight our own battles but it is high time we come out and we fight our own battles we are done being invisible This isn't an Indian or Indian-American battle. This is not a South Asian battle. This is nothing more than an accident. You, You can still want to charge the cop for some sort of negligence, but no one thinks that this was intentional. The officer who made the joke did not know who the victim was, did not have a name, did not have an ethnicity. All that he had was a gender and an age, which, by the way, was wrong. They gave him the wrong age. That's why on the video he says 26, not 23. He had no clue who the victim was. And you mean to tell me that this is somehow a slight? A a, a bit of racism or xenophobia against Indians? 
Now, in fairness to this particular community activist, she's not pretending to care about context. There are others who just don't even mention it. She's just actively saying, yeah, I don't care what the context is. It not, none of that makes any changes. Uh, you know, it just doesn't change anything. It's yeah. oh, still nothing. as oh. horrific and disgusting. And I, really? I can't believe somebody with the lowest level of humanity is in the law enforcement. Okay, well, you sound like you've got a bone to pick with law enforcement. Let's be clear about something. You mean to tell me there's no difference whatsoever between someone mocking lawyers who will dismiss her her life, the value of her life, versus mocking someone who's a victim and saying she has no value? There's no difference whatsoever. They're They're perfectly equal. That's what you're saying? That's not a serious person. This is not someone who is in it for the right reasons, in my view. And if you're trying to make this about xenophobia or racism of some kind, shame on you. Look, I get that you guys might be bored in the activist community and you're looking for another fight, and you've got media that seems to be encouraging this, amplifying the crazy while protecting us from the craziest of the crazy, not reporting on some of the clear political agendas at play here. I get that you might want to do something, but who are you serving exactly? What's your point? What's the purpose? There's a way to speak out in favor of justice, whatever it is you think that would be in this case. And we can have honest disagreements of what that looks like because we're not going to see eye to eye on this. And that's perfectly okay. I understand why reasonable people can view what happened and come to a different conclusion than I do. I, I get that. But when you're trying to make this about race, when you're trying to make this about evil capitalism, you're not doing this for the right reasons. You're not doing it in good faith. And you shouldn't be treated that way. So on this show, we're not going to treat you like you're acting out in good faith or you even have a point here because you don't. You absolutely don't. Let's find out what else is trending. What's trending? Legal. So a left-wing judge is ready to make it even harder for Republicans to win control of the legislature here in Washington state. This is at least assuming if voting patterns hold. I don't even know if that's a fair assumption. But we we did a story a really long time ago. I want to say like four, maybe even six months ago. But there's a follow-up story in the Seattle Times about a U.S. district judge. His name is Robert Lasnik. And he found that the 15th legislative district's boundaries, the ones that were redrawn when we had to redo our district maps after uh, after the census came out, The judge said that the boundaries that were created violate the Federal Voting Rights Act because apparently the state could have, quote unquote, easily created a Latino supermajority district instead of a a majority district of 51% Latino. And they quote in this a guy named Matt Barreto. He's a professor of political science at UCLA. He was hired as a consultant for the redistricting commission by the state Senate Democrats because apparently they couldn't find someone from UW or PLU or Wazoo, nothing. They had to go to UCLA. And he's quoted in the story as saying, for the first time ever, there will be a majority Latino district in which the Latino voters will get to choose their candidate to send to Olympia. This has never happened. Um, Well... They got to vote, right? Could you check just Wikipedia, Max, and tell me if they were able, Latino voters, were they able to vote in the 15th legislative district up until this point? Yeah, give me a second. Okay, he's Googling it. 
I see he's going to Wikipedia now. Don't don't donate money. They're always out. Oh yeah, yeah. You got to click. Uh, yes, they were allowed to vote. Okay. What? Well, just just throwing this out there. Maybe it has it. Maybe it doesn't. Uh, Asians. Uh, hold on. Let me. T- it wants me to donate again. Yes, yes, yes. They were able to vote. Black voters. Yes. White voters. Actually, let me just make this simple. Was anyone not allowed to vote who was legally allowed to vote? No. Okay. So everyone was allowed to pick whomever it is they wanted to pick. What they really mean is they want to make sure that all Latinos vote for a Latino candidate. They seem to believe that the only person who can serve a Latino constituency is someone who happens to be Latino. It is a bizarre way of thinking. Like, seriously, there there have been a ton of black members of Congress who don't serve their black constituencies, Latinos, Asians, whites, whatever, gays, straights. Cisgenders, whatever. There have been a lot of members of Congress who have never represented me to an extent that I am satisfied, regardless of their identity. But there is this silly belief that continues because of this obsession on identity on the left. That you have to have someone who looks like you. You have to have someone who looks like you, who sounds like you. Who is attracted to other people that you're attracted to who pray to the same God that you pray to in order for them to truly represent you. It is a backward way of thinking. Now, in this case, the U.S. district judge found that a majority just above 50% wasn't enough to, quote, provide equal electoral opportunity where past discrimination, current social economic conditions, and a sense of hopelessness keep Latino voters from the polls in numbers significantly greater than white voters. He's saying that because they don't have a supermajority and presumably because they don't have enough Latino candidates running, they don't vote. That That's what he's saying. That's weird. One might actually call that racist. I mean, could there be another reason? Any other reason? Just I'm not even telling you to give me a reason. Is it possible that there's another reason? And if the answer is no, that truly is the reason because... Latino voters want to live in a Latino supermajority where only Latino people run for office. That's their problem. That's their problem. Would we ever in a million years have a situation in which a whole bunch, let's just go with Medina. They're all white and Kirkland and most of Bellevue. Let's throw that in too. Not factorial. We'll push that aside. That they came forward and said, you know what? We want to, we have, let's be honest. Well, too many Latinos here. We want it to be majority, super majority white so that we can ensure that only white people run for office. We would call that out in a nanosecond. And we should. That's racist. So why is it that we accept this? Simply because it is a quote unquote marginalized community? That's that's your argument? It's a stupid one if that's your argument. Oh, it is? Okay, well, that's a stupid argument. It's a condescending argument. It's a racist argument. You make this assumption that just because someone is Latino, they know how to truly serve the Latino community. But let me posit this to you. What about the 30% that aren't Latino? Are they now without a representative? What about them? Does that matter? Oh, does it depend on what the makeup is? Okay, if they're majority white, then it doesn't matter. Okay. What if they're majority black? Well, then we might have to change another district to make sure that they get there. We're going down a dangerous path. Now, Democrats think that this benefits them. Washington State, it almost certainly does. 
But I do think Democrats are overplaying their hand as it relates to Latino voters because they are clearly nationwide shifting away from the Democrat Party. It has something to do with all that thing about being obsessed with race and having an open border and thinking kids should be able to change their gender as a toddler. Let's find out what else is trending. What's trending on the road? If Republicans in Olympia get their way, all of us will be receiving a $100 check or up to $200 per family if we own vehicles. This is part of a proposal by State Representative April Connors to give some financial relief to the people who are struggling with the high price of gasoline, prices that are as high as they are because of policy choices that Democrats have made. Joining me on the line is the Republican from Kennewick, State Representative April Connors. Welcome back. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Take us through how this proposal came to be. Well, uh, as you might be well aware, we get a lot of emails when we're in the state legislature. (laughs) And my email has been filled up uh, this legislative session with people uh, complaining about uh, the price of the pump. And so in July, I started working with uh, Representative Mary Dye, who is the head ranking member of the Energy and Environment Committee uh, for the State House, and with our policy staff to go through ideas, uh, what we could do to effectively give people back money in the state of Washington, uh, money that is rightfully uh, theirs because of this cap and trade program. Uh, so that that is kind of how the bill started. Uh, we have gone through some iterations of it. Uh, uh, as you said, uh, right now it would be for the first payment would be kind of more the quickest we could get relief out, which would be $100 uh, per uh, registered vehicle owner, up to maybe maybe $200 a family, maybe $300, depending on you know the individual owners in that house who have a vehicle registered. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then following that, um, starting in the, after receiving the initial July payment, registered vehicle owners would receive an annual check when they renew their vehicle tabs as long as there is excess funding in the uh, CCNA account as it was enacted. Because as you know, uh, the estimate for this program was wildly inaccurate. Well, was it inaccurate on purpose? Uh, that that I, I do not know. I, it, but what I do know is the, with the amount of money that has, that has come in, uh, the state, uh, we're not touching that program with the bill that we are doing, but we are giving any of the excess amount, excess, excess amount back to the drivers in the state of Washington. Yeah, and it's it just uh, the reason why I asked that, it, it pushing this one issue aside for a moment, it always feels like we are told something that w- whenever it comes to finances is always wrong. We're, we're told that, oh, so-and-so, it's only going to bring in X amount of dollars. We need to do more. We need more taxes. We need a capital gains tax. And then, of course, they pass it, and then we find out that their revenue forecast was off significantly, and they're going to bring in way more money than we were told. When you tell us that this gas tax will only do about $0.02, cents or the carbon tax only $0.02, cents, don't worry. And others are saying, whoa, 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 we're looking at the math. You're just, this is not true. And then, of course, the the – critics turn out to be correct. It just feels like this is always intentional. Yeah, and and that for me is is hard to say because unfortunately I'm not sitting in the seat of writing um, 
policy that can always be passed in the state of Washington because I'm in the, in the minority. Uh, but we do seem to be continually inflating um, our budget in Washington state. As you yeah. know, it was over $72 billion this year, um, and, it, and it's not sustainable. And uh, what's really not sustainable are people's personal transportation budgets right now. Um, I have had a lot of uh, comments back from my constituents, especially with a poll that I did on my uh, last newsletter that, you know, people are foregoing vacations, they are uh, struggling at the grocery store, and so we have to figure out a way how to give relief uh, back to the people because ultimately this is this is their money and we need to find proposals to return it to them. With one exception on the Senate side with Mark Mullet, I have not heard a single Democrat express any interest in this issue at all. Do you get the sense that you're going to have any Democrat supporters here? Well, like you said, with with what Mullet has done with his proposal, it is it is one person that at least on the Democrat side has also uh, indicated that they would like to give uh, some of the money back to folks. What, what I would like to do, and the reason we started this bill so early, Jason, was that we want people to contact their legislators mm-hmm. and tell them that they want relief. And uh, we we get there uh, and we get more Democrats on board when we uh, fill their inboxes. And so I would recommend that people get get on your email. Uh, go to ledge.wa.gov, uh, research, put your address in, see who is your local legislator, and tell them that you need relief. We need relief now. And I think that's how we start getting the conversation to happen. And I haven't specifically reached out to my Democratic colleagues yet. We just launched this bill today. Like I said, we've been working on it for a while, but we were trying to keep, you know, under wraps as we do in the in the state house on what we're doing. Uh, but I will be. I, I have some good relationships on the other side of the aisle uh, that I worked very hard to, to get last year and work on last year. And so I will be reaching across the aisle and trying to get support and see if we can't get some some Democrats on this bill to help sponsor it as well. Well, fingers crossed. Again, folks, it really doesn't take more than a couple minutes to email your representatives. It it really doesn't. And they do read the email. They might end up dismissing your email. And if that happens, just make sure you keep that feeling uh, of being dismissed uh, in mind come election season. So you're not only not voting for them, you're voting for their opponent, but you're actually doing more in the community to make sure that they get booted from office because they're not going to represent us. Then they shouldn't be in a position to represent us. It's really that simple. I I appreciate the work that you're doing here. And obviously we would like to see it move forward. Uh, We'll continue to put some pressure on Democrat lawmakers. We've been talking with Republican lawmaker April Connors. Thank you so much for coming on. Appreciate it. Thank you, Jason. Absolutely. You're listening to The Jason Rants Show. When we come back, it's time for The Big Local. Mercer Island, Des Moines. This is The Big Local on The Jason Ranch Show. Shoreline, Woodenville, Burien. Stories about you, not about Seattle. Hey, look at that. 4.30 on a weekday afternoon. That means it's time for The Big Local, brought to you by Alpine Specialty Services. They're online at alpineclean.com. This is the part of the show where we completely ignore the stories coming out of Seattle. Instead, we focus on the communities you live in and care about most. And we start in Marysville because the ACLU of Washington, they are ticked off that leaders in Marysville might put criminals in jail. I know. I was shocked, too. That Mayor Nairing. 
oof, always pushing forward with common sense solutions to problems that are easily avoidable if only we actually listen to people like the mayor. They are usually ahead of the curve when it comes to taking on these crises. In this case, Democrat created crises like crime and drug use, homelessness, that intersection. And that's the case here because next month it looks like the council might vote on an ordinance that mandates minimum jail sentences for prolific offenders who are accused of crimes that they don't normally go to jail for. We're talking about public disorder crimes. Right now, those are being defined as third-degree theft, vehicle prowling, trespassing, and public drug use. That could be expanded. That could be shortened. We don't know yet. It's all in the early stages. Now, the mandate would be 30 days in jail after you commit three of those public disorder crimes. So again, these are prolific offenders. The minimum then jumps to 60 days with five total crimes or 90 days with seven total crimes. If it gets to eight, nine, or 10, they just ship you to Portland and say you belong there. Now, the mayor said the final version of the law, according to the Everett Herald, could incorporate diversion programs or an option to go into treatment before serving the full sentence. They said they're all committed to the same kind of end goal of getting people the treatment that they need. They believe a lot of this is due to someone trying to feed their drug addiction. They're breaking into a car or a home. Maybe they're even stealing the car with the intent of selling what they can and then using that money for drugs, usually fentanyl. Though, as we're learning, still meth is a a big issue. Now, the reason why he's saying they might incorporate diversion programs in the future is because they're already doing that. Everyone is already offered services. Every single person is already offered services unless they're committing violent acts. Then they go straight to jail and they get charged. But if we're talking about these kinds of crimes, these so-called public disorder crimes, they've already been offered services many, 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 many times. And then on top of that, many times, times pi more. And yet they're saying no and continuously breaking the law. So this is a way to finally get them to pay a price. At best, they realize they need help at that point and actually get it. At worst, we're putting someone in jail who continuously is making victims out of everyday folks who live or visit or li- or work in Marysville. So it's a win-win to me. Now, to the ACLU of Washington, oh, they're upset. This is draconian. How dare you? Jasmine Clark is with the Smart Justice Campaign. She's the policy program director for the ACLU of Washington. And by the way, smart justice means quite literally the opposite. She said, incarceration itself is incredibly disruptive to people's lives. You're talking about a potential loss of employment. They don't work. Loss of housing. They're homeless. Loss of custody of their children. They shouldn't have custody of their children. Loss of any type of government resources. Well, actually, they gain a whole bunch of government resources when they're in jail. We cannot punish people into recovery. So she says locking people up doesn't address the underlying issues like addiction or poverty, which, of course, is not wholly true. But here's something that we know doesn't address the underlying issues like addiction or poverty. Giving them a clean needle. Giving them a crack pipe. Giving them a what? 
booty bumping kit. Because all that does is enable them to continue the drug use, which ultimately will kill them. All this does with the so-called harm reduction approach that the ACLU of Washington and so many others here in Washington and around the country support. All it does is keep someone alive for a little bit longer before they ultimately and inevitably kill themselves with an overdose. They pretend that that's not the case. They claim that what they're doing is compassionate. No, it's not. That's why they are such unmitigated failures. I write about this extensively in my book, What's Killing America. In fact, Marysville gets a lot of love in one of my chapters. I can't, I think it was, what was the chapter? Might have been on drug, it was either crime or drugs. Can't remember. But I give uh, Jim Naring and, or John Naring, and I give uh, the city of Marysville a, a ton of credit for what they've been doing. They've been ahead of the game on this for a long time. By the way, my book comes out next Tuesday. You should pre order it right now because. I get paid for it, and two, because it's an important book that I think you'll enjoy. And it's already difficult for conservative authors to get on bestseller lists, and I need to get on one. I don't care which one. It has to be a national one. I don't care which one, though, because then I can put it on my Tinder profile. Best-selling author, overall handsome, witty guy. Yeah, because everyone on Tinder is big into books. And conservatives. And conservatives. They like that, too. You can buy it right now on Amazon, BarnesandNoble.com, Walmart.com. What are some of the other ones? Uh, Books a Million Books or a whatever million. that is. I never, still don't know what that is, but maybe some people who listen on the podcast. It's definitely not a Washington thing. It, it's a retail store. I think it's the version of Barnes & Noble on the East Coast, even though they also have Barnes & Noble on the East Coast. Something like that. I saw one thrift shop online. Their thrift shop books or something. They had a big sale on my book. I was like, Whoa. Do I still get the same amount? You're charging less than I want you to charge. Uh, But I would really appreciate it if you would go to Amazon in particular right this moment or within the next 10 minutes or at any point between now and whenever you stop being able to read and order my book. Pre-orders are incredibly important. It goes on sale a week from tomorrow, which ensures that you will actually get this book when it comes out on Tuesday. Story number two. Jason Moon is running unopposed for Muckleteo City Council, the other city that starts with M in Snohomish County that I oftentimes confuse with Marysville. Although, in fairness, I sometimes confuse Marysville with Muckleteo. He's running for council. He's the incumbent. And he's unopposed. And yet he's running a campaign anyway. Now, I was about to give him props. I don't know anything about his politics. I don't know anything about his performance as a city council member. I have no clue. When I saw the story in the Everett Herald, I said to myself, you know what? That is actually kind of cool. You know you don't have to run a campaign because you're unopposed. You're obviously going to win. But you're doing it anyway, presumably because you want to be able to get in front of more voters and say, hey, I'm Jason Moon. This is what I did for the community. Here's the votes that I've taken. I'd like to take this opportunity to hear from you. What are some of your concerns? I thought that was like, hey, kudos to him. Even if I don't agree with him politically, I can look at that and say, well, that's that's pretty admirable. And then I read the quote he gave, and then I completely shifted my view. This is what he told the Everett Herald. Now, for context, he's Korean-American. That's the context here. Okay? Quote, 
This is especially crucial in a leadership position where the visibility of individuals like me is not yet the norm. Really? Yeah, we don't have any Asian Americans in positions of power. Even when I attend different events and meetings, there's often an assumption that I'm involved in tech or marketing. At the Lighthouse Festival, some people were, oh, you're on the council? What do you think he does for a living, by the way, based on what he just said? Something in tech? Yeah, he works in tech. You can't say that and then work in tech. You can't say people always expect that I'm the guy who works in tech when you work for Microsoft. They're right. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. They're right. They're literally right. He's a Microsoft customer success account manager. You literally work in tech. And so when anyone looks at you and says, hey, do you work in tech? You must work in tech. They're right. Pick I get a different example. I don't know what is a stereotypical Asian field. I But that's not doctor. E- I get that a lot. When I meet new people, they're like, oh, so do you work for Amazon or Expedia or whatever? Yeah, you know. Just because I'm anyone here. We live in an area yes. that is defined by Amazon, Microsoft, and Boeing in fairness. But usually in Boeing, you're not going to see someone who is, I don't know, he's kind of tiny. He doesn't look like he builds. He doesn't look like he works with his hands. Neither do you. Thank you. I'll take that as a compliment. It wasn't. Or was it? I don't actually know. It was neither here nor there. It was neither a compliment nor a diss. If you're doing this just because you want to prove that Korean Americans can do it, dude, there are a lot of other people who are Asian American in positions of power who don't have to prove themselves like that. The reason why they don't know who you are is because you're on a city council in a smaller city. That's just, that's why. And if it makes you feel any better, with very few exceptions, I could show a photo of you, of one sitting council member in Seattle, and a few Mariners players. And no one will be able to tell me who's on the Seattle City Council. They won't be able to point out who Tammy Morales is. They'll know Shama Sawat because she's in the news all the time, but they don't know who Sarah Nelson is, who should be in the news all the time. They, they will have no idea. At best, you'll hear someone say maybe like, kind of looks familiar, but I'm only telling you that because I think that's what you want to hear. Otherwise, you wouldn't be showing me these photos. They have to be someone of familiarity. But I, no, I don't know. I don't know. They're not Seahawks players. I can tell you that. It's like, no, that's Dan Strauss. Definitely not a Seahawks player. Talk about scrawny. Andrew Lewis could look like a kicker. No, he can't. He barely looks like the water boy. Like, barely. He could be maybe a bat boy. Maybe. (laughs) And even here, he's just, he's too short for that, I think. He's actually not all that short, but he does look like he's four years old. So I'm, I'm, I'm no longer in favor of this guy. He might be the best lawmaker ever. I just don't like that answer. He should have at least come out and said, and in fairness, maybe the Herald just left that part out of the... The quote, he goes, and by the way, obviously, I want to meet more people and hear what their concerns are, because that's bottom line. I'm I'm all about the people. That should be your lead. You get to pick my next story. Which one should I cover? Story number one, beyond boycotts, Bud Light faces a devastating shelf space problem or an oddly fascinating story called use the two minute rule when microwaving food with a paper towel. Why? I don't do that. What's going to happen? Am I poisoning myself? What's going on? 1-800-465-8770 for your text messages. 1-800-465-8770. You're listening to The Jason Ranch Show.
endless hours of research, seeking referrals, dozens of calls. Hiring the right attorney can be a challenging process during an already difficult time. J.P. Pendergast with Pendergast Law explains. In Washington State, Tom, there are thousands of attorneys to choose from. Referrals and online research can be helpful, but discovering the right attorney requires a conversation. It can be hard to identify integrity and authenticity without that interaction. So, what do you recommend? We encourage anyone looking for personal injury representation to call for a free consultation with our team before making a decision simply based on referrals or online research. Accident victims need an attorney that listens, demonstrates honesty, and is genuinely understanding of their unique circumstances. The care, attention, and preparation that our firm provides throughout the case mirrors the effort involved when taking on the insurance companies. Save time and avoid mistakes after an injury. Contact the caring and compassionate team at Pendergast Law. If you or a loved one has been injured in a car accident, call Pendergast Law. We can help. When the hot water needs to be hot, when the drain needs to drain, when the toilet needs to flush, you need to do two things. Stop freaking and call Beacon. Beacon Plumbing, Heating, and Mechanical. On call and there when you need them most. 1-800-FREAKIN or beaconplumbing.net. You pick the topic on the Jason Rand Show. Indeed you do, and you were just as curious as I was when I saw this story. I will occasionally microwave things and you are supposed depending on what it is you're cooking you may be wrap it in a paper towel sometimes you get the paper towel a little wet before you do it other times you just put it on top of something so if it's like a sauce or whatever it doesn't you know go all over the place but there's apparently a two-minute rule when it comes to microwaving with a paper towel according to Lifehacker and this was a website that I used to go to all the time because they had interesting things and then they had nothing of interest for like four years. And then I caught this and now I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised. They say – here's the thing. They even say that there are different kinds of paper towels. Are it, Is that true? I mean different brands probably construct them a little bit differently. But they're I would the figure. same. It's all the same. I mean, yeah, for the most part. So the first thing is they say, can paper towels catch fire? Catch on fire in the microwave, which I thought the answer was no. They say anyone who has inadvertently microwaved food in a metal container, they saw sparks fly or takeout packaging catch on fire. Yes, technically, there are certain ways to safely microwave aluminum foil, but we're not going to get into that today. According to Whirlpool and GA or GE, as well as the National Institutes of Health, it's possible for paper towel to ignite in the microwave. Did you know that? I know, but I mean, it makes logical Does sense. It? Have you known anyone who's ever had a paper towel catch fire in a microwave? Have you ever? No. Have you ever gotten to a point where it was scorched in any way? No. There's no fire and it's just paper. I don't understand. They say when this happens, it's usually caused by either long cooking times using the wrong type of paper towel or both. The wrong type of paper towel. What is that? So they say here's how to avoid it. Use the two minute rule. Microwave paper towel covered food at two minute intervals rather then entering a longer cooking time and then walking away. Well, that's inconvenient. There's food that tells me to wrap and I have to put it in there for like two minutes and 30 seconds. 
I'm going to do that again if it catches fire. It's a kiss gonna, of death. I, it's never caught fire, though. Now I want it to just briefly so I can sue and make a whole lot of money. They say, according to Whirlpool, this allows you to, quote, check both the food and the paper more frequently and mitigate the risk of fire. Most paper towels are safe to use in the microwave, but GE recommends reading their packaging before using them. That's never going to happen. I'm never reading. And what is the packaging going to say? This is okay to microwave. I have, does that happen on paper? Is there even anything on paper towels other than the slogan for brawny or whatever? Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever seen any kind of warning like that. They say generally, oh, it's the eco people. Generally speaking, plain white non-recycled paper towels tend to be the safest. They say the dyes used in printed paper towels may contain chemicals that could ignite when microwaved. So the U.S. Department of Agriculture recommends opting for ones that are plain white and microwave safe. Recycled paper towels may contain minute metal flecks. When a microwave oven is operating, the interaction between microwaves and the metal can cause sparks and even flames, according to NIH guidance. They say paper towels containing nylon or nylon filaments may also ignite. Nylon in paper towels? Interesting. What kind of paper towel is that? I mean, don't say nylon. I got that part, but I've never heard of something like that. Cover your food with a single layer of paper towels. Folding or stacking them can increase the risk of fire. I always do that. I, I, I like tuck it in. Can I tuck it? You know, if it's on like a plate, you get it long enough, you, you tuck it under the plate so it doesn't just go all over the place. I don't know if it does anything other than stop the, like the food from exploding onto the top of the microwave. According to the USDA, you can't simply swap one paper product for another when using a microwave. This includes brown paper bags or wrapping and newspapers, all of which should be avoided. I'm trying to think. I feel like we've all probably put a paper bag with food that needed to be reheated in the microwave. Well, I'm curious about like right? paper plates. Because I feel like that would be the most common paper product that would be yeah. microwaved. Is it recycled? If it's normal, you should be fine. But apparently it says it's microwave safe on the packaging. I can honestly say I don't think I've ever read packaging on a paper towel. And by the way, it says paper towels. I don't even use paper towels. I use napkins. Is that the same? Is it interchangeable? Or do I now have to look up the napkin messaging? Well, there's I different, I'm not going to do that. If there's different types of paper towels, there's obviously different types of paper napkins. But isn't or a napkin just a, a, a smaller version, a less thick version of a paper towel? Well, I figure they're constructed slightly different. Or Well, they're thinner. So they'd probably catch generally. on fire easier? I'm throwing away my microwave. I don't barely use it now. Anymore. Just get an air fryer. I have an air fryer. It catches fire. That one does catch fire. It smokes all the time, and I can't figure out why. There's nothing in it. It's clean, and it's just catching fire. Smoke comes out, and then my fire alarm goes off. It's the Jason Ranch Show.